Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Two Narrows Podcast. I'm your host, James. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Timmy Lang. Hi, everyone. Sean is on the switch. Say hi, Sean. That's the story. Not, not too bad. We have a Venetian fan out today. Yeah. Uh, we have two local city councillors, Councillor McNugent and Councillor Kenneth Collins. You're very welcome to the podcast. Um... You're both representing the area where we're from, Cork Northwest City, Cork City Northwest. So before we get into that and what what, what that's like and what it means for you, for the people that don't know you, I want to just get to you know, let you introduce yourself. So go to you first, Kenneth. Do you want to let us know where you're from, where you grew up, what it was like for you? Yeah, I'm from Templeacre Avenue originally. That's uh, where my mum is from originally too. Yes, I know that, yeah. Uh, yeah across the, the road. Across the, the road. Best, all the best people here. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I, I'm there. My father's still alive. He's still living in the in the, in the home, the family home. Nice old place, Templeacre Avenue. Quiet. Isn't it? Yeah, it's very quiet. Oh, yeah. Moment, you know. Um, so I have one brother and I have three sisters. Um, as we grew up, my unfortunately my mother died at a young age of forty-four years of age. Go away. Yeah, yeah. Died of cancer. Go away, Yeah, yeah, yeah. But look. That's that's put before people, and you just have to eventually embrace it and 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 get on with life then as well. Mm. But um, loved where I where I'm from. Loved the north side of the city. Went to the north man, mm. <laughs> like most of, most of people yeah, on the north side of the sorry. city went to the north man. <laughs> yeah. There's something wrong if you didn't go to the north man. One yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, yeah. Other than that, yeah, played with St Vincent's Hurling Football Club all my life. Hurling or football or Well, I'm a hurler. I think footballers keep the hurlers fit. What? <laughs> <laughs> he's, still carry, he's still carrying the injuries. He's hurling days. And I, I, I saying that I've been, uh, I played hurling and men played hurling with old helmets, with oh, old gum shields, with old anything. Uh, tough that old days, yeah. A few times, like yeah. I played know, hurling yeah. when men were men. Yeah. You know, this this first time hurling and just doubling off the air. You know, it's. Yeah. it's it's not in the game these days, and it's a oh. disappointment that it's gone yeah. from the game. You know, what a fantastic game! Unbelievable. Oh, you know, I unbelievable, mean, the fact, yeah. the skill that just connecting with a slitter yeah. that's traveling is just yeah. a, an amazing yeah. thing to be able to do. Like, I've you know? heard, I've heard stories about Tommy Gould and Barry Coates and them back in the day by putting their head where you would put your hurley, you know, yeah. <laughs> and a real rough old sport, isn't it? Yeah, it, it still is, but back in the day, it was a little bit you know, more. I've heard uh, Jason Statham, you know the actor, mm. in a in a movie describe hurling to somebody. He says it's, it's like a mix between hockey and murder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he loves expression. <laughs> <laughs> but you have the likes of Barry Coates, as you just mentioned. Yeah. Like you know, uh, uh, here on my eyes, Barry was my yeah, <laughs> was my best man, and my daughter's godfather. But you know, to see him playing hurling is a genius. Was Barry hurl? I didn't Barry has, never no, Barry has a very rare thing actually. He has a Dr. Harty Cup medal yeah. and an All Ireland medal with Cork in 1985 in the one year. 
So, yeah, yeah. Is that a minor medal? Minor medal, yeah. And he's a couple of all Ireland boxing medals as well. So. Oh, where? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair sportsman, like, you know. And then you cross the road from Barry's house, you had Donica Murphy. Yeah. Another genius, you know. Do you know the, the thing about Barry and back in the day as well? And Tommy, they used to get a lot, a lot of the lads around the area that might have been going through tough times on mm. the milk floor, didn't they? Mm. And like, again, a lot of the lads would be walk. Yeah. And I think something about Vincent's, they always kind of looked after their own, didn't they? Well, I tell you, no, look, I, my mother, I mentioned my mother, I, I, I came to that time of life as well, like, you know, and mm. I was going down the wrong road. Yeah. But in fairness to the likes of Willie McCarthy and Tommy Gould, they, they put the St. Vincent's handle over on me and mm. I went off the tracks small, went away from St. Vincent's and, you know, when you have the likes of Tommy Gould, and William mm. McCarthy, Jerry Corbett, and that her stalwarts of the club, mm. that spot of that had the eye to spot what was happening, and to bring me back on track again, you, you have to commend them because I worked in Don Derry's. Tommy got me my first job in Belnahina, you know, working off the, work, the milk floats with Barry Coates. And mm. you know, when we were young fellas, he was bringing the old Benny Bunny. Can you remember the Benny Bunny milk? The mm. old yeah. Yeah. milk. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it was nearly <laughs> got out of date, like, but he'd bring him up the field <laughs> yeah. and all the kids would be delighted, then, like, you know. But, but it, isn't that just how GA's, GA clubs are? Mm. They look after each other, they get each other jobs, you know, they mind fella if he's going down the wrong road, they kind of. As you said, put the arm around them and say, "What's the story? Come on, we'll do this, and they'll get you a job." Then and yeah, still get, doing it. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, they are still yeah. doing it. You, mm. it's it's a little bit different to other sports in in certain ways, you know. But it's a family. It's a, it's a connection. You're 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 actually in a family because they give you a clip around the ear too and call you aside and say, "Listen, yeah. you want to cop onto yourself a small bit, but you know these days though you have." The likes of the underage setup in our club, which is fantastic. Wayne Murphy is the. Can you remember Wayne Murphy? Mm. He's the chairman of the underage, and like what we do, what we have up in the heart of Nottinghamie. Mm. You know, we have five it's a professional setup in there. We have five pitches. We have an all-weather pitch. We have an indoor hall. We have a gym. You know, all for our children and the children mm. of the area, and we're community-based as well. So we, it's, it's not a closed gate system. Everybody in the community is welcome into Saint Vincent's. Oh, do you know when you, you said you were going down a, a kind of a difficult path, and the boys kind of roped in? How did your life pan out for you then? Well, I suppose look, everybody wanted to get into Sir Henry's uh, yeah. back in the day, and including Timmy. Tim, <laughs> Timmy wanted loaded. I used to win the side door. Well, I was cute yeah. enough, you see. I was, uh, yeah. I suppose, I got a job in there. Yeah. Oh, so you? everybody wanted to get in there, and so I, I got a job in Sir Henry's. I was cute, yeah. So I danced for about seven years, you know, in the nineties. Um, it was brilliant. Went down to the Klondike, partied with Carl Cox, Lana Garnier, the biggest DJs in the world yeah, at the time. Because yeah, yeah. Sir Henry's yeah. was one of the biggest nightclubs uh, in Europe, I'd yeah. say. You know, probably in top ten in Europe. Um, that was some club, though. Uh, yeah, it was that filthy. was a mad, mad club. <laughs> I never went there yeah. once and twice. And I'm happy to say I was. Too young. <laughs> <laughs> you go in, you go in there on a white tracksuit. People just go in there on tracksuit. Yeah, the next you draw blogs, team. Yeah, you yeah, yeah. Blogs, the SPX, I, I, runners and stuff like that. You yeah. come out filthy then, like, oh, you know, stop. But, like a coal man coming over there, like. <laughs> <laughs> but you, I suppose, look, the authorities were happy enough, and uh, this is my own opinion on it to have that load open because they knew where everybody was on a Friday, yeah. Saturday, and Sunday night. They were all inside, so Henry, so yeah. there was kind of no trouble around the place, yeah. like you know. Um, but like was was Henry's a safe nightclub or was there violence or was there a love buzz because it was the height of the ecstasy scene as well? It was a love buzz in there, like you know, you had you had people in there that probably on a weekday and decided they would have gone at it, but up mm -hmm. there is you're everybody's friend and 
one once or twice while I was in Newark and uh, there was one I remember a tear gas canister was released and that was oh, yeah, that was yeah. heavy enough now like you know people getting sick yeah. the tears were running out of their eyes and you know I, what was I, I was 17 16 17 I was in there and I was in the most that like you know but you know th that's my life that's where I, I progressed and then you know as I said earlier the hand of love from the lads yeah. in the club yeah. came around me and said we need to look after here what is when your mother died I was my mother died on the 17th of June I'm 18th of May so just a month I was 17 by a month yeah. it must have been a difficult time all right and it's uh... it was hard because I two older and two younger yeah I was in the middle. Spy. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know I was in the middle um it was it was hard but the only thing you know she, from the day she, she was diagnosed to the day she died it was um 16 weeks it was very fast and sometimes I said to people, you know, I was happy with that because I've seen other family members die of cancer since. And it was, you know, a couple of years and it was tough. Yeah. It was tough. My aunt, her, my aunt's husband and son, he was 14. He was 44 as well. Two of them dying together, you know. And sometimes it's easier yeah. for everybody if the person does die fairly fast, you know, because, you know, you put you there's a lot involved in that your mother's your mother and yeah. I, I look no disrespect to my father but you can live without your father mm -hmm. your mother there's a connection because mm -hmm. she gives birth to you there's mm -hmm. a connection there and your mother is always there with you like you know the irish mammy yeah. the yeah. irish mammy yeah. looking after us <laughs> i tell you guys one about the irish mammy if if you go and listen to go on spotify or rt player the rt uh, that radio documentary so they did one recently on the riot in spike island in 1985 and michael who i know from family but he doesn't give his second name on the pod on the podcast he's explaining like how it played out he was 18 at the time the guards came in they were throwing petrol bombs on the guards and they were trying to get off the boat mm -hmm. the army came couldn't get him down off the roof drama come down off the roof one of the boys his mammies came over on the boat with one of the guards and come into the prison get down here you and they all came down <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. you don't you don't threaten the mammy or you don't upset the mammy especially a cock mammy <laughs> exactly <laughs> but that's class you know and you went to a I, w I was in a phase and it was it was tough because power forces force like you know mm. you know i'm the power and the force of what was put before me i left school i left school at, kind of straight after my mother passed away I'm a floor lover I trade floor layer um, I, I I did a lot and anything that came before me I I just went on I did my junior cert I didn't do a leaving cert um, and you know if something that I wanted to do I just planned the blinkers and off I go oh, for like, you know, yeah. how did you become a city councillor then like was politics something that you were interested in or Again, Tommy Gould um, got me involved with, with the lads, helping out in the background, mm -hmm. postering, putting up posts. Tommy, Tommy's a hard man, like, you know, he'll get anybody to do anything, yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. as you know, and um, got involved, helping out, and with the election in 2014, it was, uh, if this, the rumblings were there that this is going to be a good election for, for us. Um, so Tommy rang me one day, and uh, I mean, this is, uh, we asked, I, I think, 11 women. Yeah, to run, mm. you know, because we were looking for a woman, it, it, gender balance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was the other candidate yeah, yeah. in the race, like you could say, I suppose. So yeah. we were looking for a woman that would, you know, that would be strong enough and that would run with Mick, and we couldn't get one. So I, Tommy rang me one and he said, uh, "Would you run?" He said, "Mick wants to know, would you run?" <laughs> and I said, "This is three weeks before the election. It was it was about, about three, three yeah, no more than that. Yeah, yeah. About three weeks." So 
I thought about it and I was, you know, I rang Mick, had a conversation with Mick, are, are you sure? Because obviously it was protecting Mick's seat as well, mm. because we didn't want to make a mistake and lose Mick's yeah. seat because of me. There's a risk of diluting Mick's vote. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so to be fair, we sat down, we had, we had people that had the numbers, Jonathan O'Brien was big involved in the background here, Jonathan with, with numbers is, yeah. is amazing when it comes to this. And I think to the vote, we were shy, we were, shy, we were different to about three votes. Right. said we were going to get 850 votes, we got 847 votes Go in ahead. three weeks, which yeah. was great. Like, you know, and again, down to the GA, you know, the GA, the Pearshigs were very good to me, St. Vincent's, for, mm. you know, and obviously St. Vincent's and, yeah. and, and the Pearshigs were rival clubs, but when it came to this, they came out and they canvassed for me and... That's amazing. Like, to get elected, and to get elected in, 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 in a that. team effort, like a lot of people. Wasn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, it's community effort. You, you've, mm. you, the two clubs separated by, what, two kilometres? And there is a bit of rivalry. It's like your local derby, Napier oh, yeah, Street yeah. and Vincent's. Mm. But to come together then for something so special like that, mm. to get somebody within the community in general into... Uh, uh, you know? It was great. We had a vote management in place. We stuck to the rules. We stuck to the, what we, we said we'd do. And... And that was the result of it. So, yeah. you know, but again, if I blinkers on, then we'll go for it. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, a military style operation, someone <laughs> said. We'll bring you in. So, Mick, how are you, boy? Grand, grand. Thanks for having us on and having the two of us on. Yeah. We've all said we're always together. Yeah. <laughs> You're from the posh side, the posh side, and not the north side, aren't you? I don't know. <laughs> Northeast. It's <laughs> just above you and Eric Holland. Posh side of Eric Holland, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're from, you're living in Eric Holland now, but you're from Ballyvlaine, aren't you? Yeah, Ballyvlaine originally, or the group Ballyvlaine. Well, actually, spent my first couple of years in Dublin, but I don't kind of. Yeah, we said more. <laughs> we said about more. That. Like James. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. James born up there as well. Yeah, yeah. 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 You grew up in Ballyvlaine? Grew up in Better Park in Ballyvlaine. Um, Barrow Away a couple of times down the Lower Road, Glamour Road. New yeah. connections down there as well. Down the grandparents down there for a while, but mostly Ballyvlaine. So yeah. there was six of us there, the eldest there, like three boys, three girls. What was it like growing up in Ballyvlaine? It was, yeah, it was, I suppose, been a park. I think we were kind of nearly the first, I suppose, we moved into the estate in the late 70s. We were kind of self and the lads, you know, the, the buddies. We were kind of the first big group, maybe, in the area of youngsters, you know, teenagers and that, like, so. Um, mm. Went to St. Aidan's Secondary School. Yeah. So, like, kind of actually done the intersort at the time. Um, I didn't finish, I suppose, a lot of us were kind of, What's the word for it? On the hop. Yeah, <laughs> on the hop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're actually leads pitches no. Yeah, he was yeah. a good uh, good lot of us from St. Aidan's just be on the hop. Yeah. But, uh, of course, as we're going into sixth year then, you know, others was look we better start taking school seriously, like, you know. Whereas I was kinda of still going on the yeah, hop. Yeah. So we kinda of came to a a mutual agreement with the school. I stay back in fifth year, but in the end I kinda of just had no mass in it mm. and just kinda of never never finished it really. Um, which I suppose we kind of regret a small bit because you know when I was in school, I was probably good enough. Yeah, yeah. You know, good enough student, like you know. That's the involved in sport as well, Mick. Um, not wouldn't been great, no. Like, but I suppose the lads, some lads like me as well, have had more clubs than Tiger Woods. You know, what I, mean? <laughs> <laughs> I said the first I played maybe for Brian Dillons and Glen Rovers, like yeah. you know, but it wouldn't have been great. And played soccer. Or Ballyvalan as well, you know. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, growing up in and again, I suppose eighties, nineties. Um, 
my mother, I suppose, looking after the home at the time. Mm. My father was uh, a barman. Actually, I heard someone describe him once as one of the top 10 barmen in, yeah. in Cork, you know. Yeah. And actually, it was funny because, you know, we have the office down in Shandon Street. Yeah. You know, Eugene's bar next to it. Yeah. It used to be Tio's uh-huh. way, way back. So we, we actually, the father, he ran that for a year. So that's why he was in St. Patrick's Primary School. Then we went to the North Man. Yeah. We were, and then we went a year there and back to in the park and by the land then yeah. yeah. And yeah. How, how did you get into being how, how did you get into Sinn Féin and, and that? Well, I suppose I was in school I'd massive interest in Irish history mm-hmm. um, massive interest I remember being 11 or 12 I was in the you know the children's library in town and the adult library just getting books out every couple of weeks mm-hmm. um, I mean the first I suppose the book that had a big impression on me was Tim Pat Coogan's book it was the IRA mm-hmm. so I read that and it goes through I suppose hundreds of years of history, basically eight hundred years. Mm. Um, because of British, I suppose, interference, occupation mm. in Ireland, uh, the various various rebellions, the various uh, the, mm. all the resistance, and I had a huge interest in that. I kind of just developed from there, like you know. So yeah, and I say seventeen or eighteen, then I I just I joined Sinn Féin, then and kind of took it from there, like you know. And was it like can it like kind of going to meetings, going out canvassing and stuff like that? Yeah, um, we actually we had the office in Barrack Street. We actually just sold it. Yeah, <laughs> that's still there, isn't it? No, we sold it. Um, years. It was yeah since about eighty eighty five eighty six. Is that where Donica's office was? Donica had a clinic there, but he's out in Talker. Oh, is he? Um, so it was there, Horn Crowley Memorial Hall in Barrack Street. It was named after two volunteers from Cork who died in active service during yeah. this the last 40 years. Yeah. Tony Horn and Dermot Crowley. Actually, Martin McGuinness opened it in 85, 86. So I started walking in there, I suppose. I went from, I suppose, school straight in there. Yeah. And uh, up to last year, I was still there. There's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of replacements. Hope to move with it. You know, Mick likes an old cake, like so. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. How did you become a city councillor then? When did that come about? And is it, is it like um, is it like what Mick said there, or what kind of said there? It's like they're looking for somebody to run to see the potential in you and their approaches. That how it works. I suppose um, getting involved in elections probably wasn't the first thing I would have been involved. They're in, looking to be involved in basically as you know as as a candidate, like you know. Um, I said I was involved um, with Sinn Fein and Republican activism for years, but. I suppose kind of more behind the scenes when it came, you know, came for elections. Various. I remember the first election I was involved in was '93. You know, it was a, a by-election, mm. and actually, Don O'Leary, who's Don you know, O'Leary. who you know very well, yeah. was actually a candidate in that run, and had been a candidate in a few elections after that. So, various various election campaigns and '99. I remember, actually, it was our first council seat. We won, I'd say, it could have been 40 years. Jeez. Actually, it was Don was actually elected in 99. Um, we were short. A candidate actually in the northeast. So I actually just basically have a candidate on a ballot paper. I stood in 99, right? Um, and then after that, again, Jonathan stood in the general elections of 2002, 2007, um, 2011. Jonathan was elected. Um, I remember Tommy's first local election in 2009. He got elected there and... And I suppose you could see from having one seat in '99 in the city council to where we are now, the party is now. Why know. is why is Sinn Fein become so popular in the north side of Cork City? I think we, I think just recently, I think people have been looking for a change. 
I think. Um, but even going back to the 90s, early 90s, when Sinn Féin was probably a small enough uh, party, but particularly, and at the time, we were being concentrated really in working class mm. communities. So I think we had credibility, you know, in the party and being involved in different campaigns, like you mentioned, you know, I suppose areas like Knocknaheeny and Churchill and Fernery, and the issues that were there in terms of those communities at the time, mm -hmm. and then having our members were getting involved in campaigns there on different things that were affecting the community. Mm -hmm. You know, felt like Gally Finn and others were involved for years. You know, well, back in the day, there was a perception of Sinn Féin and IRA and that stuff was hand in hand. But you know, in this day and age, I think that, for me anyway, I think that people don't look at Sinn Féin like that anymore. They look at Sinn Féin and they're like, stance on homelessness and all these other mm -hmm. social issues and the younger voter doesn't associate Sinn Féin and IRA, the association Féin with you know, left-wing politics, you know, social justice and stuff like that. Is that kind of what you're meeting? Yeah, I, I mean, like, they know that we're on the ground and we stand up for, for those people that need it most. Mm -hmm. And look, we represent everybody. It's not just that cohort of people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we represent from businessmen down to those who we were speaking about now, like, you yeah. know, but, you know, it, the stories and, and the cases that you come across, some of them are very, very sad, like, you mm -hmm. know, and you, you're hurt. You you have yeah. to be tough enough as well to be in the position because you're listening to stuff and it's, it's this is real life stuff, like, you know, mm -hmm. but we're underground as well. We're always underground. We're all, we're always together, like, you know. Um, yeah, we're in the communities. You're yeah. centered communities yeah. that you visible you presence. You know, and that, I think that's very important. I often see me together a, a lot of uh, events. You're always there. You always show up to things, you know, and, and that's noticed by the community. And that's why I think Sinn Féin today is becoming so popular, particularly around the working class people. Working class people are they're being just looked at and left there in that little spot that they've always been in, you know. Yeah. And and I think it's it's the voices of Shifian. Yeah, I think what James said. I think I know there's a debate at the moment, and even there was a newspaper poll recently about you know the media kind of are fixated on this thing about oh the younger people don't remember what happened in the last forty years, and that's why they vote for Shifian. I'm not even sure that's true. In, it is to a degree, right? But I think there is a lot of Irish people, even younger people, know plenty about Irish history. Mm. And they're reading back on it now and they're looking. Because um, you can see even since 2016, the centenaries of the Easter Rising and centenaries yeah. around the War of Independence. I think a lot of young people, I think Irish people in general and polls will stack that up, are in favour of United Ireland. Mm. And if people see an opportunity now that it can be advanced peacefully and democratically and... So I think there's that. Mm. And then there is what Timmy were saying there. I think to see people that were involved in the communities or were living locally, as you know, I, your own place, yeah. not living there, calling yeah, people. Yeah. Were, I think we're very approachable and we're very available yeah. Yeah. to people as well. And you can see us every Friday outside Super Value in Holly Hill and we're around the place, you know, so we're yeah. very available. I but think. you can't forget your past either because mm -hmm. that's part of us and who we are as well. Like, you know, I mean, again, we, we just, like, my my family's down the lower road, the Royal Railway drivers, and mixed family are only a couple of doors down, would you believe, from my, yeah. my family. But I had a grand uncle and he, was, he got caught, but um, 
alleged 212 grand hand grenades okay. <laughs> back in the 40s. Um, alleged? Alleged. Innocent. Innocent, you're right. But he spent a, a bit of time in, uh, in the Coracle there, like, you know, and yeah, yeah. he likes so Brendan O'Neill's father and Sean O'Barry as well, you know, fellas who f- believed in what they believed in and fought for the... Uh, mm. But you have to... We, we commemorate mm. every year. We commemorate those who suffered and died for Irish freedom as well and uh, other people only do it on certain times 25th 50s 100 yeah, anniversaries yeah, yeah. where even recently there no Tyg Barry was his 102nd mm-hmm. um, he's a man yeah, 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 yeah. actually put a plaque in his former homestead Blairnsheet because I know you were asking about that was just as well in the families and you know because some people have joined I think there was always a perception of people involved in Sinn Féin or public politics that came through families, and that's true mm-hmm. to a degree. It was kind of, like my family weren't when I joined um, Republican at the time, or they would be, but afterwards I would have found out I had relatives involved. You know, I had a cousin, Paddy, he died a couple of years ago. Like, he was in Port Leash in the 70s. Yeah. And it kind of affected him, actually. It affected his health, kind of had, yeah. he had a health breakdown. Mm-hmm. So he was kind of in a, a residential home, you know, it's for a long time and I used to visit him I had another cousin who was in the 40s and he was in jail for nearly 10 years you know you have something um, in common as well with Tommy Tommy was massively into into history as well and that's how he mm. kind of moved into yeah he was saying that and yeah. I, I saw the podcast and, and he was talking about in school and hunger strikes because I even found out in more recent years like even had my I just brought this with my great-grandfather. We found this photograph. Can flash on, yeah? Can you see it? Yeah. So, great-grandfather. Great-grandfather, yeah, Sean Quarker. What, 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 what's the date there? Um, it was written on, I think it's 1919. 1919. Yeah, he was from Emily. That's the father's home place in yeah. Tipperary. So it was kind of that area of Tipperary and East Limerick. And he was actually injured. Yeah. You know, so... That's kind of pride of place. There's history own. there. That's that's that's, that's big deal. Like. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pride of place at home because my own father died there in the last couple of years. You know, so we kind of the two photographs. Yeah. Nice one. On the mental piece, like you know. So. My, even my own, even and I'm sure James and yourself, like even my own grandmother used to have this picture of her brother up in in the kitchen as well. I'm actually named after him as well. That's where Timothy comes from. <laughs> But um, he was he was involved back in the day as well oh, yeah. when when we were young and uh, I was always proud of it. Yeah. Do you know I was yeah. always it gave There's me a bit of pride. In everybody in this it country. gave me a bit of, yeah. not because of not because of anything other than the, the the history and that I knew that I had a family member that fought for the freedom of of the Irish people at one point our time, you know, and that that gave that gave me a lot of pride, you know, because <clears throat> like. I've often watched films there, and, and this is irrespective of what we're talking about, but when I watched a film called Black 47 uh, last year, I watched it with my kids. My kids didn't know too much about the history of Ireland. And my small lad was sitting down and he says to me, he says, is this real? I says, yeah, this is real. This is what actually happened in, in, in Ireland back in the famine. Oh. And he couldn't... He couldn't understand this, do you know. And I was sitting there as well. And I, it's not that I get emotional, but I'm listening to it. It was a really, the Irish people really, really had a tough, tough time yeah. in this country. 
and their history isn't yeah. is wasn't often on the curriculum if you think yeah. about it if you think back when we were all in school you know but I think it's different now like you can see my daughter now she, she's nearly 15 Kate like she's yeah. you know she knows her stuff obviously she's politicised as well with me mm. you know and she's doing a, a project now at the moment she's doing it with Thomas Kent and I was saying <laughs> you know I know he's your sixth cousin so to my, my grandmother's side I can yeah. relate yeah. to the Kents Jeez. you know and you're, you're cousins uh, cousins everywhere cousins do you know big families back in Bill Dunley in Blackpool do you know Bill Dunley is yeah. former uh, chairperson of the Blackpool Community Association he's to his family so yeah. You know, to, uh, it's amazing. Like you know, everybody has some sort of story yeah. when it comes to republicanism in this country. Like, what kind of um, as as city councillors at the moment in North City, North West? What kind of issues are people presenting to us? Obviously, housing is probably the biggest one. Housing mm. and housing maintenance is huge. And how much agency have you got as a city councillor? Like, how much power or influence do you have to actually support these people? Or do you actually feel powerless? in it um, how do you manage that well i suppose we, we we the council itself borrowed 11 million euro there in the last council and, and it's been spent on this council now and there is a lot of work being done through that 11 million euro loan that council borrowed you know new roofs there's windows there's doors but you know it's only you're only touching at the tip of the iceberg when it comes to maintenance like you yeah. know you have the north side not nahini houses it's been regenerated, but most of it has been regenerated. You know, they were 20% smaller than an average house. They were block and flat, you know, and, yeah. uh, and built on kind of stilts as well. So you have yeah. that vacuum under it, yeah. you know, so you have a lot of that going on, like, you know, and, you know, the older houses then don't go growing over her and far and yeah. like, you know. Will there be any regeneration down that way? Churchfield Green, you know what Timmy is? They've started. Churchfield Terrace. There's some work on that. I've seen, yeah. I've seen, I've noticed that, what they've done is, uh, I remember two years just before COVID, they were supposed to start that above, insulate all the houses, put in the air to water, heat pumps and stuff, um, and put in new rads and just upgrade the houses so they'd hit a certain spec for the European Union to pass these carbon carbon laws. Vortex, uh, yeah. So that was pulled, the plug was pulling at then, James. Because of COVID. But recently, I've I seen them. They, what they do is, the people that own their own houses, they do up their houses first, I think. And they just insulate them. If I'm wrong, correct me, Mick. Yeah. But they done my next door neighbor's mm. house. He owned his own, mm. own house and a house across the road. And I think they were doing them first. Yeah. But I'm not sure now. Yeah, if you're a homeowner, there's schemes you can avail of. Yeah. Oh, the council is doing some. Uh, we've been kind of on it the last couple of years in terms of energy efficiency, like which mm. needs to happen. Um, So there will be more there. But... I think what you're saying there. The um, about people that don't have no house. That's that's that. That's thing. Yeah. Look, housing. There's the part. There's I suppose issues we deal with, and we work a lot collectively on issues as well in terms of housing. I mean, it, like we are in a housing crisis. Mm. Like it was the debate in the last couple of days. Now in the dial, the Sinn Féin, Iraqis team had a motion in that it should be called housing. You know, declared a housing emergency, mm. which which is should. That's on a kind of the big level in terms of politics. We deal with people every day on the housing lists um, and you know it's, it can be very difficult and at times you know you can make representations and some people you work with do get houses but I think we're just part of that you know sometimes it just all falls right mm. and you can make interventions and you can get some results first people mm. but I think housing in general without being overly political on it I suppose we are being political in yeah. a way I think we really I think we need to change mm. 
a change of government, like all oh, the indicators at the moment show, you know, it's not really working. Like, mm-hmm. you know, rents are gone way up, mm-hmm. house completions are down. The government isn't meeting its targets in terms of social and affordable housing. You know, I, I think we need a real radical yeah. change you know, on it. You, you know, know, somebody comes to and they're desperate. There's fucking four generations of the same family living in a tree bed in Kilmore Road and they're wrong crying to come to you desperate. That's probably a common scenario. How do you actually represent them then? Like, do you like, bring it? Do you speak in front of a council meeting? Do you speak like kind of over a cup of coffee before the meeting? Like, how does it work? No, it's well, yeah, people think you do that meeting. If you don't, I suppose what we do, like we have, you know, we have clinics, people will come in and see us, um, usually in the office, or we might meet them elsewhere. So we make, we get all their details down, you know, their family size, how many years on the housing list, various other details that we can get. Mm. And then we'll make representations to housing in City Hall. Um, and basically just try and keep doing that process over and over again. And yeah, and I think okay. the average housing, the way they start looking at mm-hmm. file is probably seven years now, I think. You, seven you years. It says the average, yeah. Yeah, that you have to be on at least seven years before they look at your file, you know. Mm-hmm. But again, there is cases out there that you have overcrowding. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you have a family, as you just said, living up in Kilmore Road. And, yeah. you know, you have mother, father, brother, sister, then you have... The nan and everything is done. Exactly. Yeah. You know, which is a health and safety issue then because council have yeah. to look at that as well and say, okay, we have to take someone out of this property because if something happened there, we would be responsible for it. Mm. So, you know, and then you have these days, you have landlords that are selling up. Mm. There's there's a lot of landlords yeah. at the moment just saying, and quitting and getting out of it. Now you have accidents. Landlords that got caught during the boom. They bought a property and yeah, yeah, they just got caught mm-hmm. with it. And then you have landlords that have a big portfolio that probably are saying, it's an opportunity here now to get rid of my old stock. Yeah. You have a council tenant on half or someone on half in the property and they're saying, I'm giving you a notice. And they're mm-hmm. coming to us then saying, it's going up for sale here. Mm-hmm. What can I do? But that's illegal in other countries. Like mm. in in other countries, you can't like if you're a landlord and if let's say if you're if you're a tenant paying your rent, the landlord can't just come in and sell the house Monday. You know, mm. you have a lot more rights in the likes of Spain and Amsterdam, Holland, and places like that. Would you like to see like, um, housing as a right in the constitution? Yeah, it definitely should be. I mean, look, it's something that we've probably spoke about locally, in the council or. You know, in the dial, it should it should be. It's a really basic um, demand, and there actually is. There's a raise the roof big housing rally in, yeah. in Dublin this, um, this Saturday, Saturday, one o'clock. Yeah. This Saturday, which I imagine will be a big turnout. You know, so you're right. It's housing. It should be right, and basically, there should be housing for those anybody that needs it. Yeah. It should it should be there. We're far away from that at yeah. at the moment, unfortunately. We were actually there already, though. We were in a place in this country years and years ago where we were building enough houses for the people that lived in the country. We had a guy on there recently, his name is Rory Hearn. He's an activist around Rory, the housing yeah. crisis. Yeah. Probably He'd be in the middle mm. of that protest. He was actually in Cork recently, I think he yeah, launched book. Was he in yeah, the and he was in the studio while he was here. Mm. So I asked him. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A, a question. I says, what country would you like to see Ireland like where they're solving their housing crisis? And he said to me, we had it back in the 70s and 80s. We were building enough houses for people. You know, the corporations, Cork County Council and Cork City Council were building the houses direct, mm. you know. Yeah. But now everything is leased out to developers and stuff. And that's what it is. It's, it's, they're ruining the market and they're, they're putting the price yeah. on the property. And, uh, well, you, you know, it, how, how much of a decision and who wouldn't be able to make a decision where we'd go back to a, a, a strategy like that? And, and the thing is, local authorities yeah. um, came out of building houses like... I'm sure Rory probably could have said that, yeah. you know, seventies, eighties, just backed away from it and too much emphasis put on the private market. No, you need support people, you know, should be able to buy a home too for their families, like but yeah. the council, you know, government came away from that, you know, yeah. and that was probably one of the issues. And even in the early nineties, you know, whereas developers had to provide certain percentage of social and affordable housing, they kinda of diluted that as well. Yeah. You know, so your last couple of gov governments well, we wouldn't agree with their strategies but they have been they're playing catch up as well mm. and I don't think they're going to catch up you know mm. they'll never catch up and the other thing is apprenticeship programs within social within councils you know I mean if you had an apprenticeship program of plumbers electricians brickies you know made through the, every mm. trade that you can all of a sudden you have people then that have we have a skilled workforce on our doorstep yeah. That can actually do it. That works for the state. Then and like, that would you know. be a great way of solving the shortage in trades that we have in this country at the moment. If the councils did bring on apprentices, because they have plenty of plumbers and stuff within their and employ the them. Yeah, and employ exactly back to direct labour units. Yeah. You know, into councils exactly. and get, get building. Like imagine the amount of money that Cork City Council and Cork County Council are spending at the moment around maintenance and around doing up houses and whatever else. Whereas if they, we had our own workforce within the councils, the amount of work that could be done. Mm -hmm. Do you think Cork City Council is in the process of privatising social housing through the likes of Clwyd and Sophia and all those? I think the, I, that concern has been, has been articulated, but I know some of those housing bodies, like you mentioned, and others would be, you know, like Tua and others respond, would be not 
not for profits. Yeah, they wouldn't be. You know, that. so I think they can, they can play, I think they can play a role, but it has to be led by the local authority. Like, you know, mm. like sometimes the council would say about trying to manage what they have and manage their socks. So I think the housing bodies can play a role, but um, I think the council has to, be, has to be the lead on it, you know, and they need to get the resources from the government and the power of the housing to, to do that, you know. Like you have to, the council have 10,500 houses in stock at the moment within the city, obviously the city extended back mm. 2019, yeah. like, you know, but housing bodies are very good as well to deal with, you know, I think they're, they're, they're more stricter actually, and, you know, they'd come up and they'd have a look, check your house, mm. make sure everything's up to scratch. And yeah. And, the rent man did that years ago. Mm. Yeah. No, I won't say that he had a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all came from social housing, by Everybody, you know. I don't, care, I see, what, I I don't see. care what you say or who you say to yeah. everyone came from social housing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Where would we be without it? Like, honestly, yeah. no. It's like, a start-up for everybody in life. Like, yeah. like, and people progress and buy their homes or that they can. And if they can't, yeah. then they're, they're entitled. And that's good, too, because it, when people can buy their homes, like that can, because... Do you know what? It gives them something to work for, and yeah. it, it gives them right. something to say. Do you know what? That's my house. I, I bought that for myself. Yeah. You know what I mean? But at the moment, also the the, the, the councils are um, they're going into rental properties, and any anybody that's in there on the hap or anything like that, and it's, if it's a rental property, they have engineers going in there checking the house, yeah, yeah, mm. to see it up scratch. I think it's a great idea mm. like, because some of the houses that are openly that are being rented. Are not up to scratch or safe for some of the tenants. Yeah, inspections. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good initiative. That it is, and I think because we raised at the council some years back, like 90 percent were actually failing, hap or failing a forced inspection, um, and then the council have a kind of a, a company doing the inspections. From now, I think the last report we got, I think it was still seventy to eighty percent, were rental properties mm -hmm. were failing the forced inspection. The flip side of them up, I suppose, doing a lot of inspections now is sometimes um, landlords won't, they won't do the work what's required in the houses. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, the tenants are getting notices to quit. Mm -hmm. So that's the flip side then of all these inspections, you know. So, but it, it has to be done because it just yeah. shows you the, the quality. Well, it it, it needs to be of. done because a lot of these houses are missing smoke detector, detectors, yeah, carbon monoxide yeah, detectors. Yeah. They're, they're missing safety clips on windows. You know, there's dampness in the houses, not enough of ventilation. There's families living in these houses. Mm. So that's the, the issue that, that is being dealt with at the moment. And I think, like, if a landlord is making enough money off property, fair, you know, great. Listen, everybody needs to make a living. And if you, you can afford to have a few houses, yeah, you're doing well. You probably worked hard enough for it. Mm. But we also have to protect the people that are living within these houses. You know, and I think that's very important, particularly around these car carbon monoxide um, alarms, smoke alarms. Injury. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that that was probably a great thing that did this. Did, yeah, that did definitely need to happen. Yeah, no, we were probably fucked already, yeah. and then Ukraine happened, and like there's a lot of shit going on at the moment up in the inner city of Dublin in Eastwall, you know, mm -hmm. where there was a big influx of not Ukrainian refugees, not here, no. just just regular refugees mm -hmm. from all over the world brought into the community without consultation and then rumours spread and misinformation and mm. it led to a big protest and there's a fierce tensions there at the moment. But if you think about it, right, um, and it's being infiltrated as well by far-right people and that's the problem. But if you think about the legitimacy of the residents, let's say, and their concerns and put it in, like, in the context of Cork City, let's say you're up in, 
I won't name any estate. You're up in Mayfield somewhere, right? And the council estate. And the granny, the mother and the child and, and everybody else is in the house. Does can't get assessments for autism. They can't get school placements if they've autism. They can't get access to mental health services. And the detention in the house, you know, the lack of resources. And then Ukrainians and it's the optics of it. And it drives xenophobia. Do you know what I mean? Is there a fear amongst Cork City Council or Cork City Councillors that it could drive the lack of resources that are already there for some areas and the influx of refugees could exacerbate an already kind of difficult situation, you know? Yeah, it's, it is a factor. It is something that would probably come back to us. Mm -hmm. um, we'd always try and kind of say to people, look, in times of crisis or in times of the danger is that people kind of at the bottom end up being pitted against yeah, each other. That's the thing. That for, for us, I suppose, in an ideal society, in an ideal republic, it should be able to house everybody that needs yeah. it. People that are here on housing lists, no matter where they come from. And then people that are fleeing basically a war in Europe. Mm. Yeah, and, I saw, and sometimes too, you have to kind of also make sure that you don't fall into the trap of kind of um, lecturing people as well. Yeah. Are kind of um, talking down to people who have concerns. Yeah. Because I saw the protests there in East Wall, and I saw actually a clip last night of local people in East Wall were saying, look, you know, and they were talking about the people in their community, mm. the barber or the fellow in the shop who came from different countries, and they're yeah. all they're playing the, in the community. Yeah. So I think it's having conversations with people. And, and on the just ground, because you know, you're having a conversation, does it like there's a lot of stuff on Twitter now? slating some of the people involved in that yeah. protest but there's a there's as it has been infiltrated by a right wing Absolutely agenda yeah. but there's there was a fellow neil prendable during the week he's a solicitor from the area and he spoke really well he said i'm nothing against those people in that building he says our issue was with dublin city council and the department of roderick o'gorman and all these people they just planted these people into this community there was no consultation with the community i'm nothing against them people you know and I think that we have to hold on to that. We can have conversation and you don't have to be a left-wing Marxist or a right-wing Nazi. You can still have conversation without being labelled like that. That's it, that's it. And I think looking at that yeah. situation in Dublin, because I was following it, there seems to have been a lack of communication there yeah. about the plans. And and fear spreads yeah. then, doesn't it? Yeah. Because you have, like, there is going to be four or five sites in the state where um, modular homes is going to be provided from people from Ukraine, including one in, in Cork, in Mahan. And some people instinctively say, you know, what about our own people? Yeah. But uh, we try and just trying to talk to people and say, look, we should be able to house everybody that yeah. needs it. And that, I suppose, put your focus on the government yeah. and the government's policies that are failing, that can fail everybody, rather than just taking out on people who are never going to come here in the first place. Mm -hmm. They're fleeing a, a war. And we'll go home in a few years' time. Oh, there, are very, well, there are Ukrainian people who are very proud, like they, yeah, they don't want to be here at all. Oh, no, and, they and they'll yeah. go back, you know. I mean, it's just unfortunate what's after happening. But like again, when you explain to people the situation, then they kind of sit back and mm. you know they listen and they're okay with what we're saying, like yeah. you know. But like we're Irish. We travelled the world. We went into every mm. country in the world. Yeah, absolutely. You and know? I think and we worked and we did, yeah. you know. But uh, you know. And we're a proud nation, and yeah. oh, look, we just have to embrace yeah. what's happening at the moment. Yeah. Do you know what I was thinking as well? Do you know Emma Corwin? He's an actor. He was on the Late Late Show. There's a great viral piece he did on the Late Late Show, 
when he speaks about like it wasn't the fellas in tracksuits that destroyed the country it was fellas in suits Oops. but the fellas in tracksuits now are being replaced mm-hmm. with refugees as the scapegoat mm-hmm. but it's not the refugees is the problem you can't get a mental health assessment or you can't get a house it's, it's not assessment. the fellow with the hoodie mm-hmm. It's 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 more senior, yeah, yeah, but yeah. that's so that's an abstract yeah. thought for a lot of people because yeah. they're so removed from the policy makers. You know, it's like what you said about um, the government. It's not the fault of the Ukrainians coming in or any other refugee that the Irish people are getting housing or getting mm. being forced on the list or whatever. It's just the policies around stuff. It's just the government and the country. We're not set up for that kind of mm. uh, scale of of. of What's, what's the right word, James? It's just, we're, there's so many people coming into our country, it's like, we'd know, we'd not, we'd not set up for it. Mm. It's just, a, it's just happened like that. And now we don't know what to do. And we've Ukrainians everywhere. We've, we've Ukrainian people living in hotels inside, in, mm. inside function rooms and beds and stuff. Which is right either as well. Oh, that's you know. awful. Like, yeah. Which that's is awful. Know, if you take the Ukrainians out of it, let's say the Ukrainian yeah. thing never happened. We were already in a housing crisis. Already, yeah. And like, yeah. it's not that there was a lack of resources there. I think there's a lack of will. There's a lot of resources. We're a very rich country. But do you think that, like, we've met some politicians over the last couple of years. Uh, we've had a Taoiseach here. Mm. We met Helen McEntee last week. We've Michael McGrath here next week. And good people, decent people. But why can't good, decent people get together and resolve this? Is it yeah. a difference in ideologies? Is it a, like, what's the... I think ideology has a has a part to play with it, you know, um, and I think there's probably maybe a lack of will. Like you saw there the last number of years, um, during, during COVID, I mean, there was a ban on evictions, like. Mm. And then they said it couldn't be done. Yeah, a lot exactly. couldn't be done. And the state, when it wants to, you know, when it wants to mobilise, yeah. like in terms of, you know, in terms of the approach to the pandemic, it can do a lot of things, mm. you know, whether you agree to everything or, or not. We filled hotels with homeless people. Mm. When it suited us I, for COVID, you know, just things can be can be done, and then as soon as the first opportunity arose, then it was all, um, li- you know, lift the ban on, on, ev- on evictions, you know, freeze rents. You no, know, we want, you know, we can do it, but we, no, we want, we want, we don't want to do it, and that kind of over reliance on the market, mm. you know, like the market can can solve everything. And you heard Leo the other day, like saying, you know, the, the grass, the grass isn't necessarily green or mm. abroad. And then he's changed. He's actually rolled back on it, like yeah. you know. So there is that differences there. I think between parties, that are, policies you know, as well. I mean, there are dash policies and uh, motions are set out there. Do you know because the scale of what we're dealing with in this country at the moment around the housing crisis can, like, cannot all governments just come together and come to some form of agreement around all that and just just sort out the issue where it doesn't matter what government is in power that everybody is working towards the same goal which is the most important thing that we need in this country at the moment is more houses you know and 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 just help the people that need them is is, can you ever see a future where we have something like that instead of the different governments going up against each other and taking their eye off the emphasis of what they're doing you know which is the people giving the people what they need to make this country a better place to live. Mm. Are we ever, uh, or am I just asking for too much or am I in dreamland or what? I think it comes down to yeah. what we were just discussing. I think yeah. it's the difference in ideologies, yeah. it's the difference between um, some parties of, basically of the right, really, you know, there's more kind of reliance on the market to, you know, to solve things. 
whereas we would look for this you know more practical state you know? get back into this yeah. building the council's building and get yeah. the apprenticeship programs but you can see what's happening now in another month um the Taoiseach could be handing his belt over to the Taunish and they reverse roads, like, you know. Yeah. But they came together because they wanted to keep us out. But we're leading in opposition and we're putting things forward in opposition, like the ban on evictions. And yeah. that was, we pushed that, like, you know. And, you know, we are coming up with the ideas, we're throwing them out, they're leaving it go down for a while and then they're coming out again with this, like, you know, <laughs> Tommy Gould says this all the time, like, you know. Um, in fairness, Tommy Gould, was, he said it back in the council, I say when he was just had been elected, I say it was his first speech he made about there being a housing crisis, and the city council management said there wasn't, or the political party said there wasn't, you know, and there was, there was, you know, uh, and they all they all took on that language later on, like but they denied it at the time, like, and even know? like Tommy Gould came up again, had one of his first motions was St Kevin's Hospital above, mm. turned into housing. And you know, for years it left idle, went up and fired twice. Everybody was looking yeah, for fire that night, like you know. And the the LDN of our building was a 256 properties, yeah, something just over 250 so properties. There's, there's there's like, there's 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 so that's that since 2009, it's sitting yeah. there like that, like you know. So, can you imagine if they act on proposals that are put forward to them? That and you again. Mm. We probably won't have uh, all in one, but mm. that's a good idea. Do you know, Let's go with that idea. Do you know, in this country, we have the most messed up planning laws on the planet, okay? If you're living in, in China, they can build a hospital in two weeks, and it, it'll help 100,000 people during COVID. Here, we can't build, we, we can't build unless we have about 10 different organisations to go through, why do we make it so difficult for ourselves, particularly the councils where we need housing in certain areas? Why do we have to go down these hoops if it's really needed by the people who are the people of Ireland? Why can't we say, right, this is for the people. Let's skip this and just start building these houses and let's not prolong it for another four or five years. I just do not understand things like that. Because there's, I, I think there's a fundamental difference in how we view the world. And on one side, you have Sinn Féin and you have uh, people before profit and social democrats. And on the other side, you have Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael and others. And on, on, on that side, let's say Fine Gael side, they view the world as like, I've earned my money and um, I am privileged and what, what I have is mine. And if you're getting social welfare, they, they don't believe in high taxes for your social welfare. So they believe that the free market will solve it. So if you leave it open to the free market, the houses will come. Landlords, there'll be investment funds will come in. There'll be incentives given for investors come in. And that housing stock will be created naturally. And people can buy homes and they can rent out and stuff like that. Right? That's one side of it. And the other side, then you have the lads saying, yeah, it's okay, we can have that kind of like free market, but we also need government interference mm. to help you know, regulate it as well. So on one side, they don't want any interference from the government, and the other side, they do. And that's that'll never be joined together. Yeah. But, Timmy, kind of on what Timmy was saying, can we all come together? That's not going to happen because of that fundamental difference in how yeah, we see the world. Yeah. But there's a lot of people on the left side that see the world similarly that can't come together either. And why is it, which is a more realistic proposal, 
social democrats people before profit Sinn Féin come together in a coalition that would be very very strong to have similar views similar ethos but that can't seem to get done either I think I think it's a, I think it will be a factor of the next election um, hopefully like we've said like we'll talk to we'll talk to any parties like our preference obviously would be you know a few years ago people will laugh at us but no it's a possibility that Sinn Féin could be a majority you know or our preference would be to lead a government of the left. Um, yeah. Some of the other parties, the smaller parties of the left, kind of maybe, you know, might be less enthusiastic about being in government, I think, at times. But even recently, people for profit said, look, we'll, you know, we could support yeah. a Sinn Féin government with conditions. So I think those talks happened the last time. Yeah. But it wasn't enough seats between us and other parties of the left. Yeah. And whether those whether that'll happen the next time, I'm not sure. But I think you're in a stronger position now. Definitely a stronger position, yeah. Definitely a stronger position. And we'll talk to those parties. And that will be our preference would be to lead a part lead a government of the left that will really make the change that's needed, like, mm. you know. Which you could, and you can see in the polls at the moment, like it'll be Sinn Fein versus Fine Gael in the next election. Mm. You know, you it will be that that'll be the fight, like, you know. I mean, listen to the Tarnish there's speech of the Zardesh there, he spent five minutes giving all about us like you know and so he was giving us that platform when we drawn the line in the sand I think you know yeah, you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you were on about housing like there's a shortage of particular type one bedrooms yeah I know yeah. you know you can't, they're like hen's teeth you can't get them do you know it's and the amount of people I said nearly 50% of the people on the, on the housing list are only eligible for one beds you know yes, and definitely. you know you can't be just building mixed tenure and everything mm. but maybe you know start pumping up the one meds and that you know mm. it's just crazy the amount of people that i have in my do you know where you will get your one beds though ken do you know where you'll get your one beds mm. do you know all these idle buildings that we have around the city mm. they could be turned into one bed apartments very very easily above the shop you know yeah, yeah. All, it'd be great to see something done with car prison as well I, I, yeah. Brand old spot, like we were just talking about that. We just spoke about it earlier, and actually, you know, we were up um, outside Cork Prison there a couple of months ago, and you know, even the fact that there, there is a bit of history there within the Thomas Kent thing, and mm. the walls of the prison are probably protected as yeah. a protected structure. But you know, there's areas in there that you could put in bungalows mm. for people step down for people coming out of prison. Mm. Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. take down the big walls, poor concrete walls, take them down and put in mm. and, and support those, you know, give them a home for a certain length yeah. of time. Set up a social the, enterprise in there that they yeah, can create and yeah. stuff and make and stuff and employment you know, opportunities. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mean, the amount of people that can't afford renting space now for facilities to start mm. up, startups, you know, yeah. an old cell, you know, you take out the steel doors and whatnot. Training, maybe know. training for training. homeless shelter. Yeah. Work. Homeless, it worked perfectly for homeless. It's people that, you know, one bedroom fucking just yeah. bedrooms. Yeah. The, old, the old accommodation I'd say above there isn't, isn't great, but you'd have the old schools and yeah. the old prison officers. Yeah. Um, yeah. like, you know, they're in good condition, like yeah. they're a modern building. Things can be done there as yeah. well. Like, you know, yeah. so it's the Irish prison service needs to cop onto themselves instead of leaving that mop ball up there and eventually it'll crumble down. and. Yeah. You know, we, we don't want that happening either, where we have an opportunity yeah. to help people mm. out that are coming out of prison as well, yeah. like, you know. So if, if and when Sinn Féin 
get into power and lead a coalition on the left. We need a department for podcasts, don't we, Timmy? <laughs> we need mainstream funding. <laughs> no, on a serious note, though, the amount of people that come to us looking for support, we signpost them that thank us for linking them in with this person, that person. We go up to prisons, we give talks, schools, treatment centres. But all this is at a cost of ourselves, you know? So if Sinn Féin get into government, I hope that, you know, um, they'll think outside the box a little bit, you know what I mean? And, and see the value of podcasts and not just our podcasts but like there are podcasts is a, is a relatively new medium that I, it's good to see some politicians are utilised now because a lot of people don't watch the 6 one. I look fairness to you lads why you have the yeah. opportunity just to praise you as well for what, you. for what you're doing like you know it is yeah. excellent I watched a couple Tommy was on um, during the night looking at, I was looking at Gillian's Podcast. Yeah, one of the best. Yeah. That's the best Good. one you did. Actually. I heard you watched me, Hal Martin, one, four or five times. <laughs> 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 but just, just in relation, like you know, the voluntary sector, the amount yeah. of hours on a weekly basis does it done in this country, and what you do, like you know, it's just amazing. It's, you couldn't put a value on it. Yeah. But you're right. But also, in terms of if we are, you're, you're mentioning if we are in government or leading government, and what obviously we've work to do on that still, but. Like, I could see us being in government talking to, like, you know, yourselves. Yeah. You know, going down into communities and saying, looking for advice as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, our interaction from yourselves and Katrina Tooney and yeah. others that are out there on the ground in communities and say, look, you know, because we want to be government of the people for the people. So there's no point being in there if you're not going to be listening to people there exactly. who, who might support you during a campaign to get and in if there. You're Dan O'Leary, Dan O'Leary in the life centre yeah. over. Yeah. They, they need the support of the government. Yeah. I can see us getting two advisory jobs here, 60 grand a year. Of course you do. the average wage, don't we? <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> what you do, and I have to commend you on the dyslexic, um, to be fair, like, you know, my own daughter's dyslexic and she's the proudest dyslexic that I know. <laughs> I have to say it, like, you know, she has confidence to go up I'm dyslexic. I don't understand that. Yeah. You know, where are people. It's just why she said to me uh, when we got her diagnosed, can I still be a doctor? I said, you want to be a doctor? Yeah. Well, 100%. Yeah. You know, your dyslexia is, it affects one in 10 people. Yeah. It's just a different way of learning. That's all it is. And uh, as I said to Kate, it's like, you know, some people go from A to B in a bus. Yeah. You just go C and D. <laughs> you have to go A, B, C, D. EFG go right around <laughs> but you know what you still get there it, it takes four sometimes it takes me four or five times uh, longer the distance but it's the drive that you gain from it it's the push and, and, and that's that's and that's what I said earlier that's an awful that's, force, that's a fair gift you have the, the power to push the force back yeah. like, you know it's it's the amount of people that aren't diagnosed yeah. that are dyslexic oh. is just sickening as yeah. well like you know and particularly your own generation yeah 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 you were kind of yeah. stupid yeah. i don't yeah. know like an are you there's a the, the, there's another podcast there in like the department of education and funding yeah. the assessments for children in yeah. schools no in their schools they would like, yeah. we, we raised some money there from that yeah. But the, yeah. it should yeah. be there was teachers contacting us from Blarney Street from mm -hmm. St Aidan's lads are you doing any fundraising up here I've a lot of kids there that need yeah. it it shouldn't be like that at all no. No. it yeah. should be a right that you have an assessment you know? it should be a right for, for right. it's every child's right in this country to get an education mm -hmm. why is it different for the kids who have the learning differences why is it not their right to get the assessments done 
him so they can get the yeah. education so, to match their needs. And the thing about dyslexia is it's not recognised as a disability, which is... It's, it's a learning difference. Is, yeah. Um, like uh, we're on the board of management at Gwell's Club, like Peg Sales, both mm. of us, and like we get two assessments. So you're like two assessments a year. Yeah. You're, you're, you're picking children then. Yeah. You know, the school, obviously, you mm. do that through, through whatever means possible. Like, But yeah. it's hard, you know. I, mm. I'm on the Cush Accord of the Parents Council as well, and we try to help out the school as well by giving them a few pounds, you know, just to get another couple of assessments done. But you're right what you're saying, yeah. like, you know, I mean, everybody has a right to education. Yeah. And they also, like, again, Kate, she has a bit of resource on us. Mm. She's not entirely total. It's the school, to be fair, the AG are brilliant. Yeah. They bring her out and they help her, like, you know. But yeah. fair, the, fair. there's um, a crowd there of the, the Dyslexic Association of Ireland to be something blarney. Mm. You broke down, aren't you? Yeah, I know. I know Georgie, he, she runs the yeah, place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, like school to be full of children like mm. you know and you said jesus christ this is a serious issue in our mm. country like, unbelievable you know? yeah you know, and you know i just have to top my hat off the thanks Kim. brilliant yeah. by telling thanks for we close it off yeah. then all right i'm going to ask you a question each just to finish it off right so if somebody from because it's great to have you on for the main reason i was saying earlier on is to have people from the area representing the area at at council level, I think it's very important because if, if we don't put ourselves forward, somebody from outside the area is going to come in and represent you and you mightn't have that connection. So I want people to look at this and to see that maybe they can represent their area and you don't need to be a PhD or like uh, Elon Musk, you know, just, but also like in the, where we're from, we don't have the, the numbers of people voting like we should. What, what, what can you say to the people, I suppose, to get them mobilised, to get them out voting, that might feel a bit you know disenfranchised from the whole system i think there's been i think it's improved yeah um the last number of years it was at it was at it was at the women's participations conference city hall the other day and there was a bit about um travelers and migrants you know the kind of the question i would have asked would have been you know to make and uh, get people like that involved mm. um in politics we have to prove that it means something as and i think the whole thing um it's, it's been made easier now actually you can do it online yeah so but in our areas in our working yeah. class communities um the vote has been increasing and i think that's because people see uh, hopefully that there's people in the area worth voting for yeah you know and that that will come in the next election that i suppose our message this evening is if you really want change you know from top to bottom in, in the system come out and vote for parties that will that will make that change and I'm saying that I'm, you know, I'm putting to people that's what we will do, you know. Yeah. And I know you mentioned a while ago as well. We didn't touch on it just about regeneration, mm. which is an ongoing thing in the northwest of the, of the city. But you probably needed in other areas as well. Well, actually, council officials said something to me a while back, and I agreed with it. Regeneration won't have worked unless it's had an economic um, mm. benefits as well, because it can't just be about bricks and mortar. Mm. And you mentioned as well about um, even the Pubble Index. We still have levels of, yeah. some people don't like the word, but we do have levels of inequality yeah. and disadvantage in certain communities, you know. Well, we scored terribly on all the metrics used. And That's actually, we just came from meeting in City Council there where we were looking at the local economic community plan, which details that, you know. But look, I think with real change, we can make differences in that and hopefully in 10, 15 years' time, make you know, make differences right across the, um, the area. But we can only make a difference yeah. if people go out. 
Yeah, and vote. Yeah. And you know what? The yeah. last, last, yeah. last local election was 44.6% was the turnout. You know, it's about transparency as well in Cork City Council. If we open up committees, if we open up to the public, you know, that you can go online yeah. and you can see the meeting, you know, and that there's transparency there. And mm. I see what they're doing. I'm in committee. I can see, yeah, this is something that I'm interested in. I'm going to go out and I'm going to vote for him because he's standing up for me or my community. You know, in the last general election, there's 60% turnout. So that will tell you, you know, the local seems to be. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I can't put my foot on why it, it, it was so low. And the other thing is, when your child is 18, mm. taking off uh, children's allowance, I believe, this is my personal opinion, that that child should automatically go on the register of elector. Mm. Instead of, you're off yeah. that, and that's it. Yeah. You know, you yeah. have to re register, or you have to yeah. register yeah. yourself up. So it should be an automatic transfer from one list to the other. Yeah. And everybody should. Voting is very important. And that's what I just wanted to ask. No, I don't want to sound naive or anything like this, but when I got out of prison, I wasn't registered to vote and I, I never had never voted before. So for somebody that's in a position like that and they're not registered to vote, what do they have to do? They can do a couple of things. You can go on the website, register to vote, okay. um, .ie, and you can actually, it's relatively new, you can do it online now. You can actually go on that um, your name and address that's your PPS and error code and you can register to vote or you can contact us mm. you know the Sinn Féin office in Shandon Street and we can assist people um, in getting registered to vote because now no is the time to do it with elections coming up but again the prison service mm -hmm. so they sit down with you and go through because you, you've done your time mm -hmm. and you're on your way out of prison and you're this, the next phase is you being released should you be all set up and should they have be on the way, same wavelength of what you're saying? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are you registered for voting? Do you want to register for voting? Are you okay for your social welfare? Where are you going next? Yeah. Do, you a, do you have a home? Do you need us to pull us on to council, council, or it's not us, do the councillors, yeah. you know, to see where you are because you've been locked up for a long time yeah. or, or, yeah. or whatever, like yeah. I mean, yeah. between six and 12 months or six and five mm -hmm. years or whatever. So I think it's an onus on the prison service to have that sort of set up, set up so okay. they know that, okay, if we have this done with you, he mightn't re-offend. Yeah. You know, he might go in, he might... Mm -hmm. A bit of a head home. start, like... Exactly, yeah. it's all about yeah. that extra head start. Yeah. And look, again, if, if you want to do something in life, I was on uh, and, and my 18, on my birthday in the 18th of May, I was appointed a commissioner for votes as well. Like, you know, and I wanted to be one of those. I'm yeah. a peace commissioner as well, and yeah. I wanted to be a peace commissioner. Yeah. So it's just, I believe if you want to do something in life, no matter what, mm. you can do it. 100%. You, you mentioned a, an important 100%. word there as well about transparency. Yeah. And that's what me and Timmy try to do with the podcast, is mm. to have politicians on from, you know, local level to senior level and to just to show people that like politicians are just people in the end of the day and you can be a politician or you can be a voter you can have your influence but if we can make it transparent so it's not like some abstract thought out there it's actually visible it's tangible and you can have effect change and th that's how i think that me and timmy can help people maybe to go out and use their vote no matter who they vote for mm. but once they use it because we didn't always have it people fought for it so it's important 
Pleasure talking to you, boys. Thanks, lads. Thank Thanks, much. lads. Oh, been a lot. No, it's been... Oh, been, been, been going too long, no? You might have to edit it. <laughs> no, it's been, been edited and done. No, it's been done. It was lovely talking. She, thanks for your time and best of luck with everything in the future. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. God bless. Goodbye, everyone. God bless. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 